Good morning. I'm Clara. I'm glad you're all here. You know, last week, uh, my son-in-law and daughter had their, his parents over, and they were originally farmers from Kansas, and um, they're not farmers anymore. But I came across this little story about a Kansas community. It was during tornado season, and it, um, it hit this farm community and almost destroyed this one family's home. And in that family, there was a little girl, and the little girl, from that point on, was fearful any time there was thunder or lightning because she thought it was going to be another tornado. And so one particular night, um, there was thunder and lightning going on, and the little girl was frightened, and the dad, you know, took her up to her bedroom and put her down, and, and um, they went back down. They could hear her crying and crying. He's thinking, okay, I need to go up there and see if I can calm her down. So he goes upstairs to see her, and he says, honey, there's no reason for you to cry. I mean, it's only a thunderstorm, and it's going to be over really soon. You don't have to be afraid. She looked up at her dad, and she said, daddy, that's easy for you to say. You don't know what it's like to be little. (laughs) And that is what's so amazing about our God. He knew absolutely what it means to be little. He didn't just come to us and say, hey, I'm here. It's cool. I'll take care of you. He actually, in the scriptures, it tells us that he became little, became human. He became one like us. So today, you know, we worship about God. We worship about um, we, when we're in trouble, we pray to him, right? And we're fearful, we pray to him. But we also know he's a God who knows what it's like to feel little, to be human, and to live in our world. So he knows our world about taxes, about work trouble. He knows our world about divorce, about funerals for children. He knows our, our world about ethnic hate. And all the million and one problems we come up with in this life, he knows all about that. The belief that God became little and stepped down from heaven and became a part of our world is absolutely absolutely unique from all other world religions. Now, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. He was an English scholar, and he wrote this quote. Quote, If you had gone to Buddha and asked him, Are you the son of Ram? He would have said, My son, you are still living in the veil of illusion. If you had gone to Socrates and asked him, Are you Zeus? He would have laughed at you. If you had gone to Muhammad and asked, Are you Allah or the son of Allah? He would have first torn his clothes and then probably cut your head off. If you had asked Confucius, are you heaven? I think he probably would have replied, remarks which are not in accordance with nature are in bad taste. Only one great religious leader ever said he was God. Come down to be with us. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you um, that in our faith we come across Easter, a day where it makes it very obvious that you are God and you've taken our penalty, a day when we can rejoice in your goodness, your power, your love. I pray you would just open our hearts to hear from you this morning and that you would minister to each need that's in this room, Lord. You know us each and that you would care for us, Lord, and that we would come to a place of fully loving you and knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this morning for Christians is a really important day because this is the day that we celebrate the victory of God over death, sin, and destruction. On this day, we celebrate who God is. 
that he came down to earth, became little, walked among us, died on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sin. And the evidence that this payment was good enough was that on the third day he rose from the dead. We worship a God who is alive and very real. Now, I want us to consider a question this morning as I share this morning. Why did God come anyway? I want to particularly look at verses, uh, first 14 verses in the Gospel of John, who gives witness to who Jesus was and why he came. Now, of all the books in the Bible, John is probably the book that if we're talking to a pre-believer or to a young Christian, we tell them, you know what, where to start is the Gospel of John. And the reason why is because that book is intense. In the Middle Ages, there was this quote by a scholar that said, quote, The Gospel of John was shallow enough for a child to wade in safely, and it was deep enough to drown an elephant. That is really true. So if you're, if you're sharing your faith with someone who's a pre-believer, that would be a good place to start, because they'll get things from um, that reading, and even one who's in her deathbed. The Gospel of John was written about 40 or 50 years after the resurrection, not that long afterwards. And so it's about 80 A.D. that it was written. And it was written by Jesus' closest friend, the beloved disciple John. Now, the writer of the book enjoyed an intimate relationship with Jesus. They were very close. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was the only of the 12 disciples that was there. There were some others, but he was the only male representative. And Jesus commenced to John, hey, I need you to take care of my mom. Now, Jesus had brothers, half-brothers, but he had more trust and more relationship with John than he had with his own siblings. This book was clearly written by eyewitness. That's clear by the names and the details that John puts in the Gospels. I mean, up to the point where he talks about smells. Whenever you're talking to someone, they're telling you, yeah, it smelled like you know they were there, Right? And the eyewitness was clearly a Jewish person because he talks about traditions that were Jewish and celebrations, and he t- um, quotes a lot from the Old Testament. Now, you know, we have three other Gospels, so why John? Why did John have to write another one? And John says in chapter 20, verse 31, these, and he's referring, the these is miraculous works of Jesus, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Now, for followers of Jesus Christ, the gospel really gives us a sense of assurance because it talks about conflict. You know, if you're in a conflicted area or time in your life, the gospel of John really can relate to you. Some of our favorite verses are from the gospel of John that comfort us. I mean, there's conflict in every single chapter that goes on either opposition to Christ or to his followers. Now, John was also written to outsiders, those outside of the family of faith for pre-believers, so they they could come to that place of believing and receiving who Jesus is. In the very first chapter of John, the main themes are God, the revealer, through Jesus, Jesus as God, Jesus as life, Jesus as light, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. It's all in there in the very first few verses of the Gospel of John. Now, we're going to read together um, the first chapter of John verses 1 through 14 together. So let's wait till there. There we go. Okay, ready? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness can never extinguish it. There came a man who was sent. His name was John. Let's just stop there. I just want to make sure that we know this is John the Baptist and not John the Gospel writer. Okay? Okay, we'll start on he. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a hum- but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the gospel begins with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now what is God like? Well, John says, in the beginning was the word. So why does John start with the word? Now right here, John is talking and addressing every major philosophy, every religious system that was known to him at that time by using that. He's saying the longing of every religious system, the Jewish community, the Roman community, the Greek community, every philosophical system can all find what it's looking for in this one called the word. How do we find out what God is like? I mean, isn't the, it's the nature of God to not be aloof. He wants to be known. That's why he came to us. Now, when I'm working with young people, often I get asked, how do you know for sure that there's a God? I think that's a really good question. So then I say, well, ask him. I mean, if he's real and if he wants to be found, then ask him. Just say, if you're real God, would you let me know? Now, when I was in sixth grade, I was encouraged to ask that question. So I did. I asked, God, if you're real, would you let me know? And in the matter of the next couple of years, I felt through a series of things that I was sure there was a God. So then I asked this question. Okay, so I believe you're real. I believe you exist. Can you show me who you are? And can you let me know what you think about Jesus? For the next four years, I was in a discovery journey. It took a six-year journey for me to finally experience God in a very personal way. What Jesus did is he actually came to me in a vision, and he presented himself to me in a very personal way. I was, at age 18, I was very cute. I was very preppy. I was very popular, very sweet, and I was a pretty good kid. And I really didn't think I needed Jesus. You know, at that point, I figured out what Jesus was all about. But you know what? I really didn't need him. I'm going to be okay. And so Jesus really wanted to make sure I knew that I needed him. And so he came to me in a vision, and I saw myself nailing Jesus to the cross. I guess I need you. I guess you're real. 
and I guess I know who you are. And from that point on, I've been crazy in love with Jesus. The cross is a picture of God's mercy, his love for us, his crazy love. The truth is many times we struggle to understand that kind of love. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's love, his mercy, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggle with understanding it. You? I can't believe it. You're alive. Oh my goodness, you're alive. Oh wow. Oh, this is so awesome. Okay, now I was in the boat and I heard this voice say, Cast your net on the other side. And I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm catching itty bitty fish here. So I put the net on the other side and this whole gaggle of fish get caught in the net. I'm like, wow, this is like a total miracle. Who could do this? I have to know who told me to cast it on the other side. So, you know, I'm looking around and there, boom, you're there on the seashore, waving hi, it is I, the Lord, this is awesome. Andrew, you got to get out of the boat, it's Jesus, it's him. Peter, yeah. do you love me? Yes, I love you, you're alive, this is awesome, Good. it's great. P- Andrew, then feed my Andrew, sheep. come on, get over here, it's him, Peter, it's Jesus, yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, I love you, you know, I, I totally am sorry about that rooster crowing thing, you know, I, I had no idea what it meant at the time, but I do, and I'm good for it now, okay? Good. Andrew, then I'm smiling, but I'm serious. It's him. It's Jesus. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I mean, you know everything. I mean, you're God. This is awesome. Peter. Yeah. Do you remember the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we were in the upper room, and uh, we, you know, we didn't know what to do. We we're trying to figure it out because, I mean, we thought you were dead. I mean, you were dead, but I, I mean, we we're just trying to figure it out. And then Mary's like coming in the distance, I mean, and she's like screaming, like beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking I'm allergic to bees, you know, and I want to stay away. But then I hear her correctly, and she's saying, "He's alive! He's alive! He's alive!" <laughs> and so I'm like, "Who's alive? Who's alive?" And she's like. There was this tomb, and it's empty, and there was this angel, and he's saying, you know, go tell the disciples and Peter, everything is okay, he is risen. And then me and John, you know, like, we hightail it down there. And if John says that he beat me, FYI, I beat him, he's lying, all right, you know? <laughs> I'm saying, so we get there, and, and the, the rock's over there, and in the tomb, it is, it is empty, and I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And then John, uh, he is so good with words, John. He should write a book, he is so good with words. <laughs> and he's saying, Peter... This is what Jesus totally said he was going to do. And you've done it, and you're here. It's awesome. You're Wait, alive. Yeah. What did the angel say? What? He said, tell the disciples and Peter, everything is okay. He is risen. Come on. Let's wait, go. Wait. Yeah. He said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter. That is my mercy. No, no, I don't deserve that. All night, people were coming up to me, asking if I belonged with you, if I was with you, and I was denying you left and right. It'll take my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable what I did. No. No. What I did on the cross was meant to take what's unforgivable and make it forgivable. That is how my mercy works. That is my love. It was never about you. It was always about me. That is my mercy, my love, Peter. Now, are you ready to gather the others? Come. The water is this way.
just it. <laughs> a lot of people believe that the world system, Christianity included, is about people trying to be good enough. People trying to have to pay some way for that awesome love of God. Christianity is just humanity's way of trying to explain the unexplainable, to express the inexpressible, to say something about God who is silent and hidden. But the very first phrase in John, the Gospel of John, totally blows that concept away when he says, in the beginning was the word. We're not forced to make a decision to grope in the dark to figure out who God is. God comes to us. What is God like? He's God who reveals himself, who talks, who's among us. The Bible, in fact, teaches us that we're the ones that are actually the ones hiding and God is the one seeking us out. That's what God is like. What else do we learn about this person called the Word? Well, in John 1, 1, it says that the Word was God. We're talking big G, God. Here is the Apostle John, one of Jesus' original followers, calling his teacher, his closest friend, Almighty God. Now, a lot of you have friends, right? And some of you have really close friends. And you know really well they are not God. So when you get that close to somebody and you start calling them God, either you're nuts or there's something about that. You know, it was commonplace in this days that we live in for evolution thoughts and theories and approach to truth to all kind of be that idea of things evolved to. And it was commonplace to suggest that the early Christians really originally just thought Jesus was a great teacher, a prophet somebody who embodied humanity at its best. That only after many, many years, things got changed or perverted, corrupted from the original intent. Did people consider Jesus to be divine? In other words, calling Jesus God is said to be an evolutionary development in Christian history. If there's one point in which much of the criticism Regarding Christianity, turns to be absolutely false. It's in this one. Because if you look at the oldest sermons, the oldest songs, the oldest martyrs, even that which was written by pagan people of the time, the earliest accounts of Christianity makes it clear that Jesus is referred to as Lord and as God. In the roots of Christianity, what you will find is not some kind of discussion about is Jesus a good person, but that he was Lord and God. And what's really important for us to remember is that this eyewitness, John, belonged to a group of people who, of all the people in the world, would have had an issue with Jesus being God. It would have been him because he was a Jew. The majority of the folks who initially started the Christian movement were Jewish people, like Peter, like John. And they were running around the Roman Empire proclaiming Jesus as God, as Jews. The writers of John was a Jew. These people were fiercely monotheistic. What that means, they believed in one God, the unity of God, the oneness of God. If ever there was a group of people that would not have been able to proclaim Jesus as God, it would have been this group. They would have had a real hard part with the Trinity. Every single morning when a Jew would get up, they would say this prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And yet, 
Here were these people running around saying, God is with us, God is here, and Jesus is God. Now you can say, well, what's the big deal, Clara? I'm not really into all this, nor, you know, heresies. Isn't that kind of an archaic word, heresies? There's really no relevancy for us today. But Christian truth concerning who Jesus is really matters. Now, unfortunately, a lot of Christians take a lot more issues on how comfortable their community group is. Do people greet me at the door? Is the coffee any good? Was she funny? You know, was the music okay? We take a lot of issues and standard on that instead of the real issue of what is, in belief, what is their belief that they hold on to about Christ. But in the beginning, the church really cared about what they believed who Jesus was. So John goes on to write that this word, the God, this God the Son, was the creator. As John puts in verse 3, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. I mean, can anything be clearer here? He's calling the word God creator. You know, people like to honor Jesus who are not believers. Because, you know, when you read about him, he's kind of a cool guy. And, you know, we can call him the Lord, or we can call him Jesus. We'll say he's the great teacher, a great prophet. But we deny him the one title that John is making very clear. The title of God. One who was not created. The creator. When we talk about Jesus, this is crucial for us to understand that we are talking about God. It is crucial because this is the only way, the only way we can honor who Jesus really is. You don't honor him by saying he was a very intelligent teacher or a man worthy of investigating. You might as well call him a lobster or a carrot or an amoeba or less. The only way to give proper honor to Jesus is to call him who he was, the God of creation, not creature, the creator. So why is it important to call Jesus God? Because you want to know who God is like? The answer is, God is like Jesus. So you ask, well, how does Jesus feel about children? Well, when we look at Jesus in the scripture, we see that he talked to them, he honored them, he blessed them. So how does God feel about children? the same way as Jesus. How does God feel about women? Well, how did Jesus treat women? He honored them, respected them. He never made them the brunt of jokes. He did not demean their intelligence. How does God feel about women? The same way Jesus did. How does God feel about people who mess up in life? How did Jesus feel about them? How did he treat Peter? How does he treat people who make a disaster of their lives? And have completely botched it up. By dying on the cross. He treats us with mercy. Jesus died for messed up people. I'm included. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Because God is Jesus. He's powerful, all powerful. And on Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead. He broke the power of death and sin and destruction. And as believers... We experience that hope and belief that one day we too will rise from the dead because he promised he would do that and he never lies. And so then John says, well, Jesus is God, but he's also the life bringer. Verse 4, in him was life and that life was the light of men. 
you know, wherever we go in 21st century America, we find people trying to find life. I mean, last week was Fiesta, right? The month before, it was St. Patrick's Day, right? You know, then there's going to be Memorial Day. We're looking for something fun, something to fill our lives with. In this room, some of you have sought to find life in a bottle of alcohol or pills or drugs. Some of you have sought to find life in another relationship, another guy, another girl. Some of you have sought to find life by pushing yourself in your career or climbing and pushing and trying to succeed. Others of you have tried to find life by exploring spiritualities and philosophies. But what happens when we pursue those to its end? We will always come deader than we started. Because they will not bring us life. There's only one that can bring us life, and that is God. That is Jesus. And that is what John is saying. He is the life bringer. Exclusively, it is found in Jesus. Now, C.S. Lewis, who's an author I really like, said this quote, God created us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gas, and it doesn't run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. God himself is the fuel our spirit were designed to burn, or the food our spirit were designed to feed on. There is no other. That's why it's just no good asking God to make you happy in your own way without having to bother about Christianity. God can't give you happiness and peace apart from himself. There is no such thing. The problem is people try to pour into their engine something other than God. And that's why the engine conks out. I want to ask you a question. What have you been pouring into your life, into your engine lately? Where, other than God, have you been trying to find life? In verse 4, Jesus is not only the life bringer, but he's the light bearer. In him was life and the light, life was the light of men. Verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness can never extinguish it. You know, a lot of people complain that the world is so dark and evil and horrible, full of suffering and pain. And they blame God for the darkness of the world. I mean, where is God? Why doesn't he come and talk and reveal himself some more? Why doesn't he just show up? Why isn't there more light in the darkness? Have you ever wondered that? Do you understand what John's saying here? Friends, he's saying that the light is shining. This is the progressive present tense. We've talked about this tense before. It means now... And on and on and on. It's continual going on. It's continual shining that's going on. What John is saying is that the light is shining. The problem is not on God's side. We cannot blame God if we put a sack over our head and go into a cave that's dark and put a rock over the opening. Right? We can't blame God. We put duct tape around our eyes and then shove it in a bag. And say, why is it dark? But that is what folks do. The reason the world is so dark is not because God's light is not shining through Christ. The reason it is dark is because people oppose the light, reject the light, and run from it. You ever done that? Ever opposed wise counsel? Ever done something that you knew you shouldn't do? That's the same concept. Now, some people accept And some people reject the light. But the light is never forced upon us. John says, He that is Jesus was in the world, and through the world was made through him, and the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. With each phrase, John dials up the tragedy right here of our rejection for Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. The creator came to visit his children, his own creation. You know, he's not an alien, like from Mars, okay, where he doesn't know where he's seen or their vocabulary. Very well, he knows what he's created, and that makes us a tragedy. He made us, and he knows us, and he came to us, but we rejected him and didn't recognize our creator. The world didn't recognize its own creator. The world didn't know him. And the more tragic comes in the verse 11. He came to his own, but his own people, his own nation, his own community, his own family did not receive him. So I want to just quickly explain what I mean by believe and receive. Imagine that you had a raging infection in your body. And you go to the physician, and the physician says, okay, you need to take this medicine several times a day. If you don't, you're going to die. Okay, you have several options. The first one is you take that medicine, and you put it by your bed, and you ignore it. Because, you know what, I really don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about dying. That is just like, what's wrong with that doctor? I'm just going to pretend everything's just fine. I'm just going to go with my life, and everything's just fine. I mean, it's not going to change, Right? Or you could investigate about this medicine, right? You can do the chemistry. You could check out the history. You can check out the pros and the cons. And you even get together with other people that have the same illness as you, and we could talk about this medicine and never take it, right? Or we could take the medicine. Okay, now Dr. God says, this is what you have to take, my son Jesus, to cure you of the ill of sin and destruction and brokenness in your life. Okay? Our options are, that is just so narrow-minded. I just don't want to think about that. I think that's kind of negative of God. You know, I'm just going to pretend that that just has no relevancy in my life. Right? Or we can get together with a lot of people. We could investigate. We could talk. And we could discuss. And we could study. We could talk with other people that investigated and never do anything about it. Never practice by taking that which God offers. Or we could take it. That is what receiving is about in that scripture. We have to go past the line of discussion and thinking. You know, today we're going to have a baptism from a young lady. She's going to give her testimony. I don't want to take that away from her. But she had to think through it a lot. But there's nothing in the Bible that says academia and intelligence will get you into the kingdom. You might have to use that to get over and for many of us that is a big struggle it is a big stumbling block to get over that for some of it the big stumbling block is our parents our family they were so messed up that i don't even know what a father is so we have to get over that one some of us we have to get over our own ambition that was my problem i had a pretty good family but i'm going somewhere jesus and i don't want to be interrupted by a humble servant god that expects his people to be just like him that was my big one. I don't know what yours is, but there comes a point where we need to take that which God offers us, and that is the receiving part. When we take the medicine, we get forgiveness. We get healed from the deadly sin of destruction and death and its problems. John writes, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
That's why God came down to make us his children. Now, not everybody who's alive is a child of God. They're a creature of God. But those who become a child of God or have that title are those who have accepted him and received him as Father God. How do you get to be a child of God? Now, from the human side, we must receive and believe in him. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. To be a child of God is not done by human planning, strategy, or our endeavors. It's not a decision that your parents make for you or even your spouse. In that culture, if you were a woman and you were married, your husband decided your faith. You didn't keep with the faith of even your family. And he's saying that's not how you do it. The way you do it is by receiving the gift that God gives to us. We receive Jesus, we believe in him, and then God works out the miracle in our soul. By receiving Christ, we become a part of his family, part where we have brothers and sisters in the church, and we are connected to God the Father. That's why Jesus came anyway. Now this morning, I want us to give us an opportunity to contemplate where we are you know, if the medicine been offered to you and you're just going to ignore it because that's really, mm, or it's been offered to you and you're still in that place of deliberating, concentrating, thinking, processing. I want to respect wherever you are, but some of you have done that enough and you are ready to take the medicine. You're ready to receive the benefits. Some of you are able to understand the stumbling block that you're going through right now, right? It's either your family or it could be some of those other ones we talked about. And I'm going to ask God to speak to you and tell you today is the day for you to give over to me and receive my love. Let's just close our eyes. Lord Jesus, we, we are all in a very different place in our walk of discovery, our spiritual walk. For some of us, Lord, uh, we've been walking with you for a long time, and we live in the joy of the resurrection. And we sometimes take that for granted. Lord, we ask that today our life, Father, would be altered, and that the resurrection power, Father, would be released more and more in our lives, that we would walk in the way, Father, that evidences that you are very alive and in us. So, Father, bless my brothers and sisters with that level of power and rejoicing again. Father, for those who have been offered your love and your grace and your mercy and have just decided that is just too narrow, Lord, or that is just so negative. I don't want to think about that right now. I've got a lot of other things to think about. Father, I pray that you would come to them and say, today is the day, daughter. Today is the day, son. Father, for those who have been... um, talking and praying and thinking and figuring it out and studying. Father, I thank you for the journey that they are in. And I thank you that someday, Lord, may it be today that you say, today is the day, son. You've sought enough. You know I'm it. You know how I feel about Jesus. We're one and the same. Father, I just thank you, Father, for those who came this morning ready 
to say, I want to know today about Jesus. I want to know if being here in this place is your timing. And Lord, let them know, I heard your thoughts. I heard your prayer, son. I heard your prayer, daughter, for your need for me. And I'm telling you, I'm it. Receive me. Now, I'd just like you all to keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. And if you're one of those people who's ready to receive Christ as your Lord and as your God, would you just raise your hand? Nobody else is going to watch, just me. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Okay, everybody else, keep your eyes closed. But that, that guy who raised your hand, will you look at me? I want you to know that God loves you. And he is so glad to have you as his son. And Father, I just pray for you to come and visit your son now and fill him with an awareness of your presence and acceptance, Father. And Father, I pray that you would just come to him and instruct him of greater ways, Father, to live in your ways. Father, thank you for dying on the cross for him. And thank you, Father, that your life makes him right. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, you know, afterwards, that person, if you came with some friends, why don't you talk with them and let them know um, the decision that you made today so they can encourage you and rejoice with you. I'm sure they were part of that process. All righty. Worship team, you ready to come up? Um, as worship team is coming up, you know, you guys, you come in with different needs, even if it is Resurrection Sunday. And we want to make sure that you get prayed for. And so while the worship team um, is playing, I want you, if you need prayer, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, you know what, I'm needing prayer. And then we'll, we'll gather some folks to pray with you all, all right? Because we don't want you to leave without being cared for, all righty? And after the uh, worship time, then we are going to head over to the Youngs. And if you can take some chairs with you in your, the back of your car to take them to the Youngs' house, that would be great. And we will make sure to get them from their house back here. You don't have to bring them back here. But if you can take some chairs and you're going to the house, take some chairs and take them to the house, all right? Because we're going to need chairs over there. All right. Bless you.